Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries, here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to the second episode of Series 2 of the 24 Stories podcast. Um, Thanks very much again to um, everyone who listened in last week. Also, thanks to our sponsor, Skillsbase, for partnering with us on this um, new series. And I'm delighted to have another exciting guest in front of me this week, a lady who has phenomenal experience in sales, but is about to take a slight little pivot as well in the next couple of weeks. We'll get to that towards the end of the podcast, but I want to introduce you to Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch. Welcome to the podcast, Eleanor. Thank you, Stephen. So, Eleanor, Golden Apples Training. Am I right in saying is that the name of it? Golden Apple, yes, yes, yeah. Where does Golden Apple come from? Do you know, it's funny. I have a thing about colour. Okay. And I wanted to have a colour in the name of the company. Fair enough, And yeah. I thought, I love golden. Prestige, kind Prestige, of. Prestige, I suppose. And yeah. And also, a poem that stayed with me in my head is Wandering Angus. It's a Yeats poem. Yeah. And the last few lines of the poem are um, something like along the lines of um, and I will search till time and times are done the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. Lovely. And I don't know actually what it means, but I just loved that idea, the golden apples of the sun. And I thought golden apple. Well, if Yeats thought it was good enough to put into his poem, it's good enough for my company. And people so, always talk about selling apples and oranges. You know, yeah, that's, exactly. Uh, that's true. Sort of kind of fits in. That's true. Take me back. Where, like, where did the sales journey start? Was, was it in school? Were you trying to sell stuff? Like, were you working part time or, or where, where did it all start? Well, do you know, Stephen, it's an interesting question because sales would be the absolute last thing that I would ever do in my life. Yeah. When I was a child and I was asked at 11, what would you like to be when you grow up? I didn't hesitate. A teacher and a part time writer. Okay. And when I said that, I remember the nun sort of laughed a bit and I didn't understand what was funny about it. I didn't really even understand 20 years later what was funny about that. But I think the the joke was, if you're a teacher, you won't have time to be a part time writer. Teachers are so busy, you know. But so I wanted to be a teacher. Yeah. From, oh God, from my earliest years. So when I left school in Dungarvan and came to Cork, it was to become a teacher. I went to UCC, did my degree, did my dip. Went to Australia for a year, came back and started um, teaching in the RTC, which it was at the time. Which the, has changed names a, a few times a few at times this stage. Since yeah. then. Um, and it was part time. Okay. And it was part time year in, year out for, I'd say, five years. And what were you teaching? Well, there was sort of elements of business studies. Okay. There was life skills. Yeah. There was the catering department did a sort of yeah. life skills element. Yeah. Uh, general studies was another, you know, the... Um, Students used to come in on block release and they would do yeah. general studies. From apprenticeships and things from like apprenticeships. that. From yeah. apprenticeships. So you might do CVs with them. You might do a little yeah. bit of tax. You might do a little bit of communication skills. Yeah. It was sort of up to yourself, really. Mm-hmm. In fact, I took over uh, Bat O'Keefe, Minister for Education, who became Minister yeah, for Education. Yeah. It was his hours were available at the time because he was going into politics. Yeah. That'll tell you how far back that was. Yeah. The early, 90, uh, early yeah. 80s. It wasn't so, too far back. So not too far back, no. <laughs> so, yeah, so I took his hours, but it was never going to be a permanent job. So I started reading a book about four or five years into teaching. And the book was by Leslie Kenton. And in the book, there was a couple of chapters on creative visualization. 
which I'd never heard of. Yeah. And being in the 80s, a lot of people hadn't heard of it. Yeah. And it was basically saying that if you have a dream, you should dream it and you should think about it and you should image it in your head yeah. and go to sleep at night thinking about it yeah. and it'll happen. And I thought, well, what would I really love to do? And I have to say at the time, I said, I'd love to work in a radio station. Interesting. I always liked the idea of radio. I thought radio was very glamorous and I love radio as a medium myself. Mm. Um, and I thought I'd love to work in a radio station. It would be, I'm not going to get a full-time job here for years, maybe for another two, three years. So yeah. I'm going to try it. I remember my husband said at the time, oh my God, what are you changing careers for? What are you going to be doing in radio? And I said, I don't know. I imagine, anyway, I started to imagine myself with a clipboard yeah. walking around importantly yeah. with a big desk. I didn't yeah. know what I'd be doing. I wasn't yeah. interested in on air now. Yeah. I don't know what I... I just liked the you idea. just liked the idea of just radio. Just the idea of radio. And at the time, this is late 80s, there wouldn't have been many radio stations. No. Pirate. Pirate. Mm. ERI was the pirate station in Cork. And did you go into a pirate station? Well, there was an ad on ERI at the end of 87. Yeah. And the ad was for a marketing stroke customer service person. Okay. And I thought, there's my job. That's it, because you had a bit of business experience from the RTC. Exactly. That you could transfer over. That's right. Yeah. And I thought, hmm. Oh, could do that. Yeah. Um, so I was always interested in marketing anyway. Um, so when I rang up about the job, they said, oh, I'm sorry, Eleanor, that was a mistake. I, I sent in my CV mm. and uh, Margaret Nelson at the time rang me and said, you know, the job's gone. You know, it was a mistake. The promo should have been pulled. Mm. And I thought, well, keep me in mind the next time something comes up. But two days later, she was back on to me saying, well, that person never turned up. So do you want to come in for an interview? Yeah. And I went in in my mini car. Yeah. And met Joe, who was the MD of the station at the time, and did a reasonably good interview, I think. But when I came out the door, I was so excited, Stephen, yeah. that I felt I haven't actually imparted my enthusiasm. I don't Did think him. he yeah. knows I really want this mm. job. So I knocked at the door again and he said, come in. And I, I put my head around the door and I said, Joe, just in case you don't, you didn't get this, I really want this job. Yeah. I, I really think I'm the person that you mm. need for this job. I just wanted you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> and he just smiled and said, yeah, yeah, OK. And that was it. And then 10 minutes later, I was knocking at the door to say, would you push my mini? Because the car wouldn't stop. Oh, God. And I reckoned, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. me gone. But you were brave enough to go back in. You know, like, it, yes. I, but I suppose there was no mobile phones. Oh, no mobile So phones. you had no option of ringing someone and saying, listen, will you get me <laughs> out of here? I had to himself and... I think my Neil Prenderville might have been around at the time. There was a few others yeah, and they pushed yeah. the car and I thought that's the end of that job. But I did get the job and I did start as customer service. But my job was to deal with customers and, and bit by bit, I got into sales by default. I wanted to go. I was doing um, a customer service investigation. This was my first assignment. Job, I was like yeah. 007. Okay. Um, it's going to be a customer service investigation. You go all this, to yeah. find out how come people who had advertised but hadn't come back in the last six months, um, why didn't they? Yeah. So I was to search out who hadn't advertised for six months, go and see them, put together a questionnaire, um, send it out and then go and see them. So I rang up everybody. There was about maybe 120. Mm. ERI was a very successful station, a very lucrative station at the time. So down I went to my different clients, sat down in front of them and said, can you answer some questions? And out of those questions... You got to chat to people and they started telling you about their business. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions obviously was, you know, would you go back on radio again? And actually, a lot of them said, well, I would, but I didn't have this good experience or I wouldn't be spending this much or 
you know, if you came back with the right idea. Yeah. And I said to Joe, I'll go back. You give me the ideas and I'll go back because I got on well with Mark. I really liked Mary. You know, Margaret was great to deal with. So I want to go back to them, but I'm not selling them anything. I'm just giving them. You're giving them ideas. What they want yeah. and, and ideas. And Joe would put together a, a proposal for me and I'd go down and I would go through the ideas. You know, a lot of the time they said yes. Yeah. And it helped, I think, Stephen, that I was in love with radio. And I they probably saw the passion then as well. Oh, they did. They did. I loved radio. I loved the creativity. I loved the ideas, the different kind of copy writing mm. ideas, the campaigns, you know, the promotional. I just loved it with the passion. I just couldn't wait to get back down and meet customers. And yeah. Joe said to me after a while, I, you have a company car now because you're in sales. And I said, Joe, please do not ever say I'm in sales. I'm not in sales. I'm just helping people. Yeah. Account management interested. is really what you were doing. Yeah. 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 But so, and that was the beginning really of sales. Sure. I don't think I could sell much else really, Stephen, to be honest with you. I couldn't sell shoes or computers or, but I could sell radio. I could sell radio, you know. But what I can't get around is, this was a pirate station. Mm. The guards not knock at the door or anything. How did, how did you know, it stop? I, I know there, there was a few close shaves. I think they would shut down the transmitter yeah. every so often and we'd be off air um, because we were illegal. But I think at this stage, it was the last year of illegal radio. They knew it was going to change. Oh, you know, in 1989, the independent stations took over, you know, and yeah. there were all the, the interviews and, you know, yeah. Um, I think it was Minister Burke um, at oh, the time. that's right, yeah. yeah. So there was going to be a whole new era of mm. independent legal radio. So I think we were the, ta- I was at the tail end, really, yeah. of this. So they left us alone for the most part. Yeah. And what was that like? So it was it called County South or South County? Or what, what was it E-R-I. called? E-R-I. E-R-I. And was that the first name when it went live? When it went live then. Oh, that was completely they had to change new. change name, didn't they? Oh, that was completely new management and everything. Oh, was right? it? Oh, it wasn't completely. The same people? Oh, no, not at all. No, <laughs> no. But there did was they a, take the there was a new group took over. Actually, they came from the Examiner. Yeah. Um, it was Pat Casey, Peter Klosky, Brendan Mooney. So they were just a conglomerate. Yeah. They yeah. got the license for Radio South, and um, so Radio South came on air in August of 1989. I think it was the 10th of August 1989, and Radio South was pretty much a disaster. Okay, it yeah. wasn't formatted. Yeah. It was very much hit and miss. Yeah. There was no specific, you know, target market. Yeah. It was almost like public service broadcasting. Yeah. Trying to be a little like bit, a bit for like everybody. Like Cork at the time. Yeah, but yeah, yeah exactly. But, um, but it wasn't working. Mm. So we already had that, you know, we needed an alternative. We needed format. We needed a music station. Yeah. You know, that's what people wanted. Yeah. Um, so Radio South really sort of disappeared after a year and sort of morphed into 96 FM, which were new management again. So they relaunched with a new name? They did. Okay. One year later, on the 1st of August, 1990. Yeah. 96 was born. Whoa. Um, with a group of people um, who were fantastic. Yeah. In terms of what they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Ruthless and focused on the listener yeah. and attracting those listeners. And we all knew, obviously, in sales, you get the listeners, you have your you have your advertisers. Yeah. You don't have listeners, you've no advertisers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Advertisers yeah. follow listeners. Yeah. You know, and everybody learned that. So you must 
you know, decide your our target market was twenty to forty five. Okay. Um, and so what music do twenty to forty five year olds listen to? Yeah. Hits and memories. Yeah. Because music is very evocative, and music this is ra- this is the beauty of radio. Music brings you back. Yeah, to a time in your life. To a time in your mm-hmm. life where you were carefree or you were happy. Music makes you dance. And so, you know, 96 FM, you know, produced that product that made people feel good. Yeah. Um, and it was a massive success. And then it merged with County Sound 103. Well, oh, they were two different stations. They were. They? Yeah. 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 But then. They came together. County Sound actually took 96 over. Yeah. Okay. They had the, the shareholders and the. The money is where with all. It. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so 96 and 103, as it is, well, I mean, there have been other iterations, as you know, since Steve and, you know, Ulster. Yeah. UTV, UTV and Wireless Group and yeah, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And that was after my time then. So, but it was very exciting. And radio sales is just so exciting. I suppose when you were selling that then, were you selling personalities as well? I know you were selling a station, but were you no, selling, was no. it all about the brand? All about the brand. Well, there probably wasn't many personalities, no, was there? The no, time? there weren't. I mean, Neil Prendeville was well known. But it took a while, I'd say, to develop that. Like the, the kind of chat show type of radio it type of thing. Did, that did, I suppose. Yeah. Neil was always good at that. Yeah. And Neil was always the anchor man, really. Even in ERI, Neil was a good, Neil's a very good radio voice. Yeah. Apart yeah. from anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. You know, even for adver- adverts, people would say, or for commercials, uh, people would say, I want Neil Prendeville's voice, you yeah, know. Yeah. So his voice is good and yeah, he was experienced and I suppose he had a presence. Mm. So he built it up, in fairness, over yeah, many years. Yeah, yeah. But it became an anchor. Um, but it was the only real talk show um, around that then. Was, was the rest was all music shows? Yes. And I suppose the, the Sunday show became kind of famous then with Derry Oldies well. and Irish. Oldies and Irish was traditionally from the ERI days a huge draw. Oh, was it? Yes. Before? Before. Oh. They kept on. Oldies and Irish never lost, never lost its slot. Yeah. And it always attracted a completely different audience, a more country audience, more older audience, um, but the a very, loyal, one audience, a very but high audience yeah, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because oldies and Irish, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the, the radio was really built on the music. We used to say, if you open a bottle of mi- a, a box of military, yeah. you expect to find the toffee, you know, the coffee, yes. the orange. You don't expect to find a jelly and a few chewing gum, yes. right, pieces. Yeah. And so 96 was like that. When you listened to 96, you weren't going to get a bit of opera here and a bit of country yeah. and western here mm. and a bit of 1920s jazz. Mm. You're getting hits and memories. Yeah. And, you know, and they even had the software sort of to produce the produce sound it. where the music soft would go into slightly less soft, would go into more yeah. rock, would go into a little yeah. bit of heavy rock and maybe back into sort of, you know, um, easy listening. Yeah. So that there is a wave effect to the music and, and research done to see what are the hits people want to, to listen to. Yeah. Give people what they want. You know, it's the old adage, if you're selling something, give the person what they what want. they want. Yeah. And you, you said that you read a book about this idea of kind of visualisation. Yeah. Did that then come into play with maybe kind of on-air competitions and stuff like that? Were you able to bring that kind of thing to life? I, 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 I don't know if I did really. When I started in, in ERI, um, what struck me in week one was my imaginings of radio. Mm. I had imagined a big desk with the kind of green leather top, you know, 
yeah. and a cream phone. Mad men kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I was sitting at my desk one day and I thought, looked at it and I said, that's the desk I dreamt about. It is <laughs> so amazing. It was. <laughs> it was exactly as I, you know, but... Over the years, I I used the creative visualization yeah. and that mental pictures for quite a number of different things, but mm. not necessarily. I don't think I was a very creative person, but I do think radio brought out a little bit of creativity in me. Yeah. But um, but there were so many people up there that had great ideas, um, that you could say, I'm going to see X. They want to spend X now. What can we do? Yeah. To you know. And I was just, I suppose, passionate about the customer. Yeah. I wanted the customer to love radio as much as I did. I wanted the customer to be getting a response. I wanted my customer to stay with me forever, you know. So I, you know, talked to, we had a production manager, Pat O'Reek, and he was brilliant. Yeah. He was a great copywriter for ads. But, oh, Stephen, I would tranche through books about radio, books about great advertising people, moguls from the 60s. Yeah. I would, I went to Canada on holidays once, right? A, yeah. a family holiday. Yeah. But in Toronto, there was a kind of a radio advertising bureau. It was a kind of a centre where if you were joined the bureau, you would get different, um, you know, scripts, ideas, radio ideas, mm. promotion ideas, all this. And I bought a bottle of whiskey in Shannon and I called in t- Toronto into the RAB. They didn't even know me. And I yeah. said, hi, I'm from Ireland. I'm from a small station. This now was when I was in 96. Um, I said, I'm from a small station in Ireland. You know, I've seen some of your literature and I've read about you. There was no real websites now at this stage. And um, I said, look, here's a, you know, a bottle of Irish mist or something, you know. Yeah. Well, they said, come in. Well, I had a suitcase of ideas coming home. Brilliant. A suitcase of ideas. Like with magazines, scripts, newsletters. Um, and I packed them into the bag brought them home and I said, lads, I have such fantastic ideas here. Yeah. Because these ideas would translate into money. Yes. For the station. Yeah. And for us, of course. And excite your customers and as well. And excite the customers. Mm. I'm, I'm even excited now thinking about it. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to put together the proposal. Yeah. And march off to customers and say, can I just let you know what we can do for you? And then, you know, and some of them, of course, would say, Eleanor, go away, that's not for us. But others, you, can you remember any crazy things that you did at the time? Do you know what I remember? I came across this great idea and it was the Friday warm up. Okay. So how did a Friday warm up? Um, the, the station would say to everybody, get down to such a pub in town, right? Yeah. At five o'clock, we're going to be there and it's their Friday warm up. And it's going to be sponsored, say, by maybe by Guinness, by Peach Snaps, by whatever, right? Yeah. Now, the sponsor would pay at the time maybe five grand for that. Okay. So they would be promoted for 10 days in advance. They would have maybe free tastings down there. We'd get Ryanair flights. We'd get all oh. these prizes. Yeah. There would be an OB in the pub with two links back. The pub would provide little nibbles yeah. and bits of, you know, sausages, a few chips or whatever. So this was like a rave up on a Friday yeah, evening. Yeah. People got excited in People the got excited. Yeah. They all came down listening yeah. along to the music. It was just a great vibe. And it would go on, say, from about, say, 5.30 to 8 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah. 
but the station was making money out of it like five yeah, grand we had yeah. one every month for about seven months I mean that's 35,000 pounds that's like 45,000 euro back then yes and there was no real airtime, only the promos yeah and then obviously the presenter you know on the on the day down there for an hour or two that idea is like that you know and there was another idea of fire and ice and fire and ice was a holiday to a really hot country mm. and then to Iceland to Afterwards. a really cold country so so it was again we had to get a sponsor for it. We had to get someone to give us a holiday to Spain and Iceland yeah. and then promote it on air. Get your sponsor and Bob's your uncle. The station's making money. And there's a great vibe to fire and ice, you know. It's just giving away holidays, but it's just how you do it. But that's how they built up the listenership base exactly. as well, I'd say. Exactly. Very listenership focused. Give the listener, you know, giveaways, mm. you know, phone-ins. Yeah. Um, a chance prizes, to win things. A chance to win things. Yeah. Yeah. Caller number nine, that was the big thing, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. And the, was it the top seven at seven or the yeah, top eight at yeah, eight? And we yeah. used to come up with all these sort of, how about doing a midnight show, you know, yeah. and have it like, you know, there was again, there was Friday foreplay. I don't know, did that really um, yeah. take off in those <laughs> yeah, days? <laughs> yeah, might have been ahead <laughs> of its pay. time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. But it was exciting times, as you could gather. So, you know, what I get from that is you had a phenomenal kind of... Um, uh, way about getting research you know like you were doing market research and you probably didn't even realise you were doing it you were gathering all this data this information at a time when you couldn't really get it yes you know it was yeah. no, there was no internet as you said as such it, it came afterwards yes but that helped you develop yes sales yeah, exactly and you know so uh, as I say the last thing I'd ever want to be is a salesperson, right? Yeah. But what I learned myself was, and when I became sales manager, then I t- tried to impart this to the team. Mm. You're, and then afterwards, obviously, when I did training with Golden Apple in yeah. radio around the country, they always say, you're not actually selling anything. Get away from the idea you're selling something. You're not yeah. selling. Yeah. You're advising and you're, you're showing someone how to improve and increase their business. Yeah. And their turnover. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to listen to someone who might do that for you? Now, if the customer says, well, I don't believe you or it doesn't, you know, I'm not interested. Fine. That's fine. Don't Mm. put your foot in the door. Yeah. Move along to someone who can get excited about the ideas that you're giving him. Because most salespeople do not come. But at the time, they would be coming with, why don't you buy this? I'll give you a deal. I'll knock off 500 euro. How about that's You know what? That's boring. Yeah. I just wanted to come and say, here's what we can do. You like this idea. And it's so exciting that people buy into that. It's just logic anyway. How could you lose? How could someone walk away and say I wouldn't be interested? Because you're not just coming up with a whim. You actually have thought through what would be good for their business. So sales is about giving people what you feel they want. And in order to do that, Stephen, you have to do your research. You can't pitch up in front of a customer and go, what would you like to do on radio? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. Um, So you... But then you have to be excited about to do that, don't you? So, so when you were the sales manager, when you were recruiting staff, mm. did you look for people with a passion for radio then like yourself? Do you know, I, not necessarily because it's hard to have a passion for something, I suppose, without being in it. You yes. Know? I wouldn't have been, I suppose, particularly passionate about sales only when I got into sales. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was recruiting people, really, I suppose I was interested in people who were, who were focused and would work hard. Yeah. Because I'm very into that. You know, you must, it isn't a breezy, it, 
Sales is not an easy breezy job no. where you can come in and swan around and cross your fingers. Mm. Sales is a job you must be focused. Yeah. You must look at the clients and you must put them 100% before everything else. Yeah. In terms of your work. Now, I don't mean in terms of your home or anything. Yeah, yeah, of course. But so if, for example, the production manager says, oh, we can't do that. Well, you, you need to do it. You need to do it for this customer. So you, you know? represented them rather oh, than the other absolutely. way around. absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I love doing, I can't understand why people didn't like it. I used to bring the customers up to the station. Yeah. And for a coffee and a little tour. And it excites them as well. And though. I'd say to the newsroom, yeah. lads, I have Joe Bloggs coming up. Yeah. Be nice to him. Yeah. <laughs> they would be anyway. Yeah. So when I'd say, Joe, meet Lana or, you know, meet Barry or whatever, PJ, um, they would all be really nice, you know, because yeah, I would have said yeah. the customer is important. Yeah. And then I'd say, here's Martin now and he operates Selector, which is the software system. And this is how the, the system works. Martin would then take them through for two or three minutes and they'd be, oh my God. Yeah. You know, and Martin would say, what's your favourite? And I'd say, well, that's playing now at six o'clock this evening, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then, so I'd bring them into the production studio then and Pat was wonderful. And Pat would say, I'm just finishing something here now. Come over and have a look at the desk and see what I'm doing. By the time the customer left the station, he thought it was the bee's knees, you know. They had to. They had to advertise that stage. They often bypassed me and went straight to Pat. I'll talk to Pat Elder if you don't mind. I think he's a better idea. (laughs) Happy days, you know. Because to me, I felt we were all a team. Yeah. And the customer needed to know that the full team was behind me. It wasn't just me, random Mm. me. It was production and it was promotion and it was it was everybody pulling together to make sure the client's campaign worked. And do you think that can be used in other industries as well? You know, when people are selling, show them what you're actually doing. Oh, completely. Because people love, like, I suppose it depends on the industry, but people love an insight into how yeah. something they don't understand works. Now, I think radio has become less I thought it was the bee's knees and very glamorous at the time, but I suppose people now Radio now is just, but radio is still a kind of magic. There's a magic there is to a magic radio. To live radio. And there's particular. a magic to what you're doing. Yeah. There's an alchemy to producing things that out of nothing. Yeah. That's alchemy. And yeah. there's some, there's a magic to it. And I do think people, you know, I, I just think in sales, we need to be more customer focused. What does the customer want? You know, and everything has to focus. If you don't focus on the customer in bad times, the business goes, you know, yeah. That's when they'll move. They yeah. won't move during good times, but you lose them. And how long did you stay with 96 and in the radio industry then? Radio, 12 years, I suppose. Okay. 12 years. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't really want to leave radio, but I heard this guy on the late, late one night and he had been, I think, marketing um, manager, whatever, huge job in the States for Budweiser or Heineken, one of these. Yeah for 40 years and he was say 62 or 63 yeah. but he was ancient at the time and um, he was saying you know when I look back on my successful career of 40 years yeah, it's a blur and it, that the word blur stuck with me because I do think if you do the same thing mm. for decades when you look back you don't see individual you years see popping chunk. up you see a chunk don't mm. you Stephen yeah. you know if you work someplace for three years you see a chunk but if you 30 years the chunk is you know, it's a bigger chunk, but it's still all wrapped in on each other, isn't Mm -hmm. it, all those years? Oh my God, I said, I don't want to be 65 and looking back on a blur. Um, So I think I'll just blur into something else. So I went to concept advertising and marketing, which gave me 
a different take on the business. Yeah. The more the graphic design, not that I was interested in, you know, that I that I had any um, designs on being a graphic yeah. designer. But yeah. I just saw, you know, the, the print section, you know, the the, the print media, um, yeah. you know, the brochures, the printing, all that. It was just a different and I was still in sales as such, but it was a just a different take on media. Um, so were they a media agency? Yeah, an agency. Yeah, yeah they were. Yeah, yeah. They, they they operated um, out of um, just over Patrick's Bridge there, okay. Bridge Street. Yeah. Um, and as I was there, I did a course in train the trainer, even though I'm already trained as a teacher, obviously. Yeah. And I, I the idea came to me. I love really to pass on my passion for sales and customer service to others. So anyway, long story short, Golden Apple. <laughs> But funnily enough, that thing that you said in the class at 11 years of age when you said you wanted to be a teacher. Exactly, Stephen. It took I a while. I often think of it. It took a while. But it came true. It, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it did come true, you know. But, yeah. But maybe a different type of teacher. So, a different type of teacher, yeah. So teacher to the corporate world. Yes, exactly. And I love that. And different students all the time. Absolutely, yeah. And one of the... um. The gigs that I got, I suppose, was um, with Learning Waves, which oh, yeah. is, you know, which managed the, the, the training the, the, the for training the radio industry, for the radio industry, mm-hmm. for the independent um, sector. And um, so, yeah, so I got to see radio stations all around the country and meet salespeople, um, all different ages, all, you know, some of them in sales for six months, some of them two or yeah. three, four or five years, all different levels of enthusiasm. But Sure, I loved it. Sure. And did that give you excitement again because you saw maybe stations starting up? and, and Massive, yeah. yeah, massive. But just people starting off in the industry yeah, and letting them know if there's one thing you will need in this industry and I suppose in any sales industry, it's enthusiasm. Yeah. And I always start, enthusiasm is a switch really. You can't afford not to have it. Yeah. Because if you're not enthusiastic, it's like a domino effect. Everything falls apart. Yeah. And often enthusiasm is seen as a sort of a happy, clappy, or just put a big smile. That's not, enthusiasm is an inner glow. Yeah. It's a sense of being, of, of a passion for what you do and finding the interesting angle. I mean, you could go into radio sales and just say, look, I'll do what I have to do and, you know, I'll follow the rules. But if you delve in behind the scenes, you'll, you, you'll find, oh, that's interesting. Oh my God. You know, so... You have to find your enthusiasm, yeah. but I do. I do think most people possess it. And were you able to keep that enthusiasm during the tough times? I'm thinking of you know recessions and stuff like that. So you're in training. I'm sure budgets were cut and stuff like. How did that? How? Yeah, you know, yeah, you're human, right? Yeah. So you don't have to always, mm. you know, sing and dance around the kitchen. Yeah. I suppose. Um, yeah, there are times. Of course, there are times mm. when the last thing you feel is enthusiasm. But, you know, enthusiasm in a way is related to resilience. So, yeah. you know, fall down, have a good cry. Yeah. You know, beat your fist off the desk. Yeah. You know, give out, curse. Yeah. Of course, go for a walk, wallow in it. Yeah. You deserve it like you're human. Yeah. But then you have to get back up on the horse again, don't you? You have to look after yourself. Right? Yeah. Ultimately. And you have to kind of get yeah. back out there and say, OK, do you know what? I've kind of had... I must now say, well, how can I fix this? How can I work this out? How can I, what can I do? Yeah. You have to, you know. Um, so it's about sort of being resilient, pulling yourself back again into face, whatever 
oh yeah, there have been many challenges. Like it isn't all happy days. Yes, but, of course. But you have to mull through, don't you? What choice have you got? And how long have you been doing golden apples? No, like how long are you out on your own? I suppose I have my own 15 years, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, at this stage. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And so that's another chunk. Ex- it is. And that's what I like. Yeah. That's separate again to, to concept, which yeah. is separate to radio, which is separate to the, yeah. you know, the CIT or the MT, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I like the idea that there are different phases in my life where I was doing different things and meeting different people and getting involved in different areas as well, you know, in terms of voluntary work or yeah. sort of different uh, bodies that I would have joined. So, yeah. you know, life is short. You know, I read there um, a few years back, I cut it out, Stephen, and it's mm. still on my dresser at home. You know, the average life is a thousand months. Yeah. That was A.C. Grayling. He's a philosopher in the London School of Philosophy. Actually met him down in Listowel and they say, don't meet your heroes because he was my hero. I read a lot of his books. He is, he was wonderful. He was wonderful. And that, I told him that, that stuck in my head. The average life is a thousand months. And what he says is, so you don't have much time to sort of mess about or to kind of waste or to yes. just say, oh, manana. Yeah. It's very finite, really. A thousand months is nothing. So going back to that month when you were the 11 year old in school, you also said, besides being a teacher, that you wanted to be a writer. Yes, yes. Had that notion in you my head. You had that notion in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in the last couple of years, you started to bring that to life. I did. I always said, um, Stephen, that when I'm older, when I have time. Yeah. I never have time. Yeah. <laughs> but when I'm when I, when I I have a bit of time. And so, yeah, I, I joined a writing class and... Um, She's fabulous, really, Moira Donahue. She lives out in Black Rock and she runs, you know, just writing, just writing groups, really, okay, that yeah. get together and write. Like sit around a sit coffee around. table kind of thing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and she sort of organises it and yeah. she she sort of manages the night mm-hmm. and we all write a little bit and we call it out if we want. And it's it's just so non-threatening and so yeah. it's a lovely atmosphere. Um, And so, yeah, so I got to thinking about I might, I might write a novel and yeah. And I did then. And like, yeah. So it took like, years though. <laughs> so how long did it take? Oh, I'd say overall now from say first page to publication, right? Yeah. Five years. Five years. Now I wasn't writing all those five years. Yeah. I've written a second book in those five years, a sequel. So yeah. I have another one to go now in six months time. Um. So yeah, writing, somebody said writing is really rewriting. Mm-hmm. So it's not really writing, it's rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and going back and editing and changing and scrapping. and yeah. So there is a lot of work involved in a book, really. And you know, in the films, you always see people and they're doing writing and they're, they're away in some sort of little cabin somewhere in the middle of nowhere and they're <laughs> yeah. struggling with a piece of paper yes, and they rip uh, it up the and they get angry. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> did that happen? Oh, many times. I don't know about the cabin <laughs> in the woods now, but certainly the kitchen table. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do despair a lot. You kind of go, this is rubbish. This is work. And what am I thinking of, you know? But you know what I did find fascinating? And I think this would help other would-be novelists, right? Yeah. That the the first page of the book I wrote, I was at a writing weekend down in the North Shore, you know, that hostel down in Shirkin. Yeah. Margaret, actually, she was um, running this woman. She was running the course. And... 
on the Saturday, she said, I want you to go in now and whatever you came down here to think about or to write about, I want you to write that first page, whether it is a web page, whether it is a short story, whether it's a novel. And we had two hours and and I went away and I sat down. I said, I've been kind of thinking about this idea okay. for like ages. Yeah. Half an idea for ages. But now she's saying you have to write the, fr- the first page. Oh, my God. Pressure. So I wrote the first I wrote the first page. And when we came back and we, we, we shared out our pages or whatever we'd written. And I knew then after I'd written that first page, I knew that I'd keep it going. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I had started. It was like. That was like, the hardest bit. That was the hardest bit for me yeah. was actually because I would have a lot of ideas, but I wouldn't necessarily put them on paper and then they're just mm-hmm. there in your head. But when I put it down on paper, I thought, all right, I have my character here now and I'm going to write about her. I'm going to write about her quest and about her journey. But the interesting thing that would help writers is each chapter I wrote, I hadn't a clue what the next chapter was going to bring. Okay. It was as much a surprise to me as anyone else. And I panicked a little over that. Yeah. And in the writing world, they say, if you're going on a journey, say to Dublin, you don't have to see at nighttime. You don't have to see the whole road lit up in front of you. Your headlights only show up 300 metres. Yeah. And it's a very good analogy for writing. Don't worry about the rest of the book. Just concentrate on the 300 metres, the chapter you are writing now and be in it. Yeah. And then when that chapter is done, I'd go off then spinning to district. Alan has a great spinning class in district. Yeah. And I'd be spinning madly on my bike. And as I was sort of just concentrating on the, the exercise, yeah. I'd say, oh, I know what's going to come next. I have an idea. And then I would go back and I'd write the next chapter. So it's kind of organic. Kind of getting excited yourself about the whole concept. Yeah, yeah. very excited. Yeah. yeah. And then you get stuck. Of course you do. I yeah. mean, it's, 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 it's hard. Yeah. Well, I, personally, yeah. for me, it was hard. It was three steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. But you know what? A chapter, you can do it a chapter at a time. Mm-hmm. How do you eat an elephant? You know, yeah. one bite at a time. Yeah. So, and then I finished the book without big gaps in between. I finished the book over, I suppose, maybe a year and a half, two years. And then I'd then I'd go back and I'd change bits. And it, it just, it was organic. It just took time. So the book, so, what's the name of the book? The book is called The Girl with Special Knees. Okay. And I'm guessing it's about a girl and her life or something like that, is it? Yeah. It's about a child yeah. who has a congenital disability Congenital yeah. condition. Yeah. I keep that vague because this is a fiction book, yeah. but it is rooted in my own experience. In your own life. In my own life. Yeah. Um, so the child is miserable. Yeah. And, you know, really, there are days she, she she's nonverbal. Yeah. Um, but there's days that it looks like she doesn't even want to be here. Yeah. And if you live in a family with a child like that, it's very hard. It's yeah. very hard to see a child suffer. Yeah. It's not about a disability, really. It's more about the unhappiness of the child. You're thinking about them all the time. Yeah. You are. Mm. So if a child had depression, if a child had anxiety, if a child was had any sort of distress, mm. then you, it will break your heart. You kind of want to take it off them. You want to take it off them. You want to fix it. You, you want to make it right. You want them to have joy. Yeah. Like you have joy. You want other yeah. people to have yeah. joy. And that was my experience. You know, I had a child who 
you know, was not joyous. Okay. She had a lot of problems. She had a lot of difficulties. Yeah. You know, she had pain. Yeah. She had reflux. She had anxiety. Yeah. Multiple issues, right? Her syndrome was CDLS. A lot of people wouldn't know it. But, and it, it varies from child to child, as most syndromes do. Yeah. Um, and it was very hard to see her unhappy. And I remember one day my sister said, who, who knows? You know, maybe in an, maybe she's living a different life in yeah. another dimension, yeah. maybe yeah. across the universe. You know, you know, the way the multiverse and, yes. you know, all this like quantum mechanics that we actually live different lives in different dimensions, yeah. you know, Um. And I remember smiling, thinking, yeah, wouldn't it be brilliant, though, if she did have a simultaneously have a great time somewhere else? And that was the germ, really, for the book that I thought I could write about that. I could give I could give the child wings. I could make her live another life. I know it's only my imagination. Um, And and so that was the that was the idea for the book. Was it a bit therapeutic for yourself as well? It was a little bit. It, it was sort of upsetting as well yeah, because I as so. I would write, it would remind, it would upset me. Mm. But look, you know what? It was it was great to to create a story yeah. from it that yeah. had hope. Yeah. Um. It isn't just about the child. The child with special needs is really about a family who are in trouble. Yeah. We have a fifteen-year-old who's mm. a bit of a rebel and who feels invisible. Okay. We have. A father who's kind of going through the motions and he's, yeah. he's you know, his days are a little bit grey for him. Yeah. A bit of colour has gone out of his life. Yeah. There is a mother who's quite distressed. Yeah. But she's not letting on. Yeah. And then there's the child. So this, the book is the story. It's there four stories, really. And would you have heard a lot of those type of stories from you know, meeting parents with, you know, with kids with different conditions over the years as well, you know, that it's hard to juggle life. Yes, it is. And God, there's no doubt about that. And I think there's no mystery there. I think it's yeah. hard to juggle life no matter what. Yes. You know, and I think everybody at some stage in their lives, you know, ha- have challenges. They do. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it might be a child with a disability. It might be an unhappy child. It might be, um, you know, a husband who's depressed. It might be a mother who, you know, has cancer. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's multiple mm. tragedies and, you know, again, a, a Yeats poem that I just have at the start of the book, you know, the world's more full of weeping than we can understand. Yeah. And the world is full of weeping. It's not the only world, of course, thankfully. The world is yes. full of laughing as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the book will resonate mm. with people who have had a challenge in their lives. Yeah. And I think they'll resonate with the mother who's kind of finding it hard to sort of keep it all together. Um, and the daughter who's the rebel, who's got a few bullies as well going. So there's yeah, a storyline yeah. for the daughter too. Um, and the father, yeah, whose head might be turned. <laughs> so there's a, bit of, there's a bit of drama there. There's a bit there, of right romance in it as well. Yeah, so yeah. plenty of drama, yeah. yeah. And is it is it focused on telling the story from all their different viewpoints? It is. That's exactly okay, it. Yeah. Now, the child is transported. Um, yeah. The way I put it is that you have a family in trouble and mm-hmm. then one day the postman knocks at the door with a parcel for the child for yeah. her birthday. Yeah. And when it's opened, it's an African doll, a soul doll. Yeah. And magic happens. Things start happening. Yeah. yeah. And um, through that doll, the child is transported she gets her other dimension she gets her journey 
she has to complete a quest. She has to take a risk. Yeah. She has to find her courage and jump literally yeah. with this little doll. And so she's off having a ball. So it's kind of fantasy kind it's of. It's fantasy yeah, too. Yeah. 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 She's having the ball. But meanwhile, back at the ranch, she's in hospital with pneumonia. Okay. Yeah. So her body is unresponsive, but she is somewhere else. So it could be related to anyone that was in a coma or exactly. anything like that. Yeah, and they often say that they do go somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is exactly it. You know, and that's, I thought of it like that. Some unresponsive, God, when you go into a hospital and you see, you know, a, you know, as you say, somebody who yeah. might be in a coma or who, you know, and there's, they don't know they're not at a vegetative mm. state. Mm. They don't know where they Who knows? That wouldn't it be wonderful to think they're living the life. As yeah, my grandchild yeah, says, she's yeah. living the life. Yeah. Um, so so the child whose name is Dahl goes off and lives the life for a brief while. Yeah. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, we have the stories of the three other family members. Uh, so, yeah, that's it really. As you said, it's domestic fiction. It's women's fiction with a little bit of fantasy in there yeah, as well. Yeah. How does your family feel about the whole thing? Do they, you know, do they feel like they're inspiring a book or something? (laughs) I don't know. Like I do say in the preface, even like that. It's not your husband that's getting called, is it? (laughs) No. That's the thing, you see. I said, well, the book is fiction. You know, there's there's loads of drama in the book. There's loads of drama. Um, And you have to have that. And you have to have that. And I don't want people to think, oh, that's a memoir. (laughs) You know, because I want it. The book really is about courage and it's about hope. Yeah. And, you know, I suppose at the end of the book, somebody said, what's the theme of the book? And mm. I say, oh God, what's the theme of the book? And I thought the book really would be about sort of grief and loss. And, the, you know, yeah. that when a child is born and has to suffer and sort of mm. wade through an awful lot of crap, you know, th- there's grief in that yeah. and there's loss in it. You know, there the is. nurses said to me in the hospital, you know, you're grieving for the child that you have lost, yeah. the healthy child, the child who's going to jump and swim and you know, have boyfriends mm. and head off across the world and, you know, that child is gone. Yeah. And you have to go. So there is a sense of grief and loss and then a sense of like recreating a future then, you know. Um, so I thought the book was about that, but actually the book is about courage. That I, I never thought about that, Stephen. I actually never even realised it until a couple of months ago. Yeah. When I, when I had to answer that question, I said, the book is about courage. Um, for the mother, she has to have the courage to admit that she's not superwoman. Yes. And that is, courage isn't always about marching on course, and being yeah. enthusiastic. That's, yeah. that's, courage sometimes is about admitting that you're falling apart. Mm. And it takes courage to do that. And so for the mother, that's the courage she finds. Then I think with the child, Dal, she's great courage. She's marching off there and she does, you know, in her new life, she can speak, she can walk. She's the boss. Oh, the she's the she golden girl. Yeah, yeah. She's the golden girl. And yet she has to do a job. She's not there for fun. Mm. Um, but she takes it on magnificently and she falters and she's scared, but she keeps going. So she learns through that, that courage is about keeping going and believing in yourself. And then the father, I suppose, has to show courage as well in admitting, you know, God, I you know, nearly went Sort of the wrong way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then the daughter has to, you know, the 15-year-old rebel, the sassy rebel, yeah. um, has bullies. So, you know what? If I was 15, I'd love to have been able to deal with bullies like she does. She does a great job. 
Okay. It's exactly what I would tell my daughter to do. Yeah. <laughs> so she handles the bullies. So each of them has their own story. So the book would know? appeal to a, a, a wide audience, will it? I think it would. Mm. You know, I did have a difficulty with that because when I sent it to agents, they said, oh, right, the fantasy bit could attract people who are into fantasy. Mm. But then the other bits, like there's a really good picture of a family there, but that will attract an older audience. Yeah, will, yeah. So you're sort of a hybrid kind of a book. Mm. I, th- that was difficult. It can't be, it's not a niche, you see, that you can slot in, oh, this is romance or this is domestic fiction or yeah. because there is a little bit, there is a good bit of, of the child's journey too. So, yeah, that's, so I, I, it's a little bit hard sometimes to sort of explain what the book is, but look, I've just explained it to you. It probably took me longer than it should have, but. Yeah, yeah, but that's the magic of a book and, and the way you kind of said that you had to go through each chapter, which was a surprise to yourself, which is probably why yeah. it's it's about courage because you you didn't even, exactly. you had to have the courage to finish it as that's well. That's right. No, you're right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, how do you bring a book to life then? So, you know, there's one thing right in the book. How do you get it printed? Well, you know, I met a friend of mine, uh, John Gilroy, his former senator, John Gilroy, mm-hmm. who's brought out a couple of history books himself. Yeah, yeah. And I ha- was just having a cup of coffee with him and I said, you know, I don't think this book is ever really kind of going to see life because, oh, I'll be hanging around forever looking for an agent who will sort of have the courage maybe to take yeah, it on. Yeah. Maybe it's not good enough. Like you do think that, obviously. You have self-doubt it's kind of, of yeah. Of course yeah, you do. Yeah. Just the book isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, and John said to me, Elner, Go off and launch it. Do it. Get it printed. Get your publisher, Orla Kelly Publishing. She's brilliant. She's she's, she's here based in, in Cork. Cork. Yeah. yeah, she is. Um, you know, organize your launch, you know, make it happen. Yeah. And I came away from the meeting and I said, the coffee, really. And I said, because he had read the book and he mm. said, Elder, the book's great. I loved it. And I thought, but you're not even my target market. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah, after speaking to John, I said, do you know what? I'm going to create another blur. Yeah. And I'm going to do it. So, I, so yeah, that was, I think that was around February. So, um, so that was when I decided, yes, I'm going to make it happen. And you know what? It's happening. Are you nervous? I'm a bit nervous. I am being out there, you know, having yeah. yourself, putting yourself out there and people can... I don't know, criticise or yeah. they can say, oh, but you know what? Who cares really? It's supposed to the end of the day. I did my best. Yeah. I gave it my best shot. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed the whole process, even though it was hard work. Mm. And so I throw it out there now to the world and look at the end of the day, let's see what happens. It's not life or death or anything, you know. And it goes live next week. And it goes live next week. Yeah. The launch is on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then you you'll, you'll, you have physical books to sell? Oh God, yeah. yeah. On the night now, we have about, I'd say we're about 140 yeah. coming to the launch. Whoa. And you know what, Stephen, what I discover again and again throughout my entire life, people are amazing. Yeah. People are kind. They're supportive. Yeah. They're root for you. Yeah. And I think that is be- that's even better, to be honest with you than writing the book. They kind of want it's, to back the underdog too, I'd say, do they? You know, you don't have a big publishing house yeah, behind you, so the, come the, on, let's do yeah, it. Yeah, you know, good for you. And yeah, yeah, I, I just think that's fantastic Yeah, because it kind of keeps the wind in my sails yeah. when people are saying, go for it, go for it, you know? So that's actually 
where my enthusiasm, I suppose, nearly comes from is from people's reaction and people's support and that people will put themselves out for you. Like, that's such a compliment, like, and I appreciate it so much. Even if the book is a flop, <laughs> I know people were behind me. And will, will you sell it online as well? Oh, yeah, it'll be on Amazon, Ingram Spark, Barnes & Noble. It'll be online all over. It it will be on my website. Yeah. Um, Soon to be launched. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I, I suppose there will be some bookstores as well, some selected bookstores. A few, a few local yeah. bookstores or yeah. whatever, yeah. 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 So, oh, if somebody wants the book, all they need to do is look me up online and I'll get them that book. <laughs> but I'd say it's exciting as well. It is exciting. Well, it's lovely at this stage of my life now to turn back and say, well, I wrote the book yeah. and I got it published and I put it out there. Yeah. Like, it's great satisfaction in that. And, you know, I spoke to Billy O'Callaghan. Do you know Billy O'Callaghan? No, no. He's a very successful Cork author. Yeah. Um. He first wrote a book of short stories. He d- he does a lot of workshops for the council okay, but, yeah. and he's written life sentences now set in the 20s in Ireland mm. and he's a new book coming out in yeah. May. Um, and Billy O'Callan is one of the nicest people that you could ever meet. And I asked him if he'd read the book and give me a review or yeah. even give me just a few words. And he did. He gave me very complimentary words. Lovely. And I thought to myself, he's virtually a stranger. Yeah. And he took the time to do this for just me. And I know why he did it, because I'm kind of the fledgling writer and he's been there. Yeah. And he knows how hard it is. Yeah. And he said, I'm just rooting for you because it's so tough and it's so hard. And such congratulations that you got to finish it. Like, isn't that just amazing? So it's probably similar to the way you are with the salespeople in the different radio stations around the country, I suppose. It was. And to be honest with you, Stephen, if somebody came into me now and said, I'm thinking of publishing and I'm thinking I would be 100% there for them. Yeah. I'd be saying do it. Come to me and I give you I'll give you all the help. I, I do like I do like helping people. Yeah. Um, because if you know something why wouldn't you help somebody else? And did you say you have a second book already? Yeah oh. I wrote that then during COVID. You know the first book I had an agent looking at the first book and they were fierce interested in it and yeah. I got such a surge of amazement hmm. that that he was saying that to me yeah. that I said do you know what I had a second book started but I was losing I said oh, nobody even wants the first book so why am I writing another book Yeah. Um, but because this guy had such interest I said you know, I'm going to go back to the other book Yeah. while he's reading it and making up his mind I'll go back and I and I started writing the second book and yeah I, I just and then it was COVID yeah. and I finished it and is it a sequel to this book it's a sequel yeah okay and then my agent came back and said, I'm not going to go with it because of its dual, like fantasy versus domestic fiction. Okay. But, you know, even though I was obviously gutted, he, he still had kickstarted my enthusiasm for book two. Yeah. So at this stage, I said, I'm going to finish off book two now. So that's ready just to be edited, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a follow on story about the family again. More drama, Stephen. So, so will you see how the first book goes and then launch the second book accordingly? I'll launch the second one anyway. You will? I will. B- brilliant. Oh, jeez, I'm not going to leave it sit in the drawer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gathering dust. I, I actually had a plan. This was my visualisation. I would write um, three. Okay. So a, I'll a write. Trilogy kind a trilogy, A trilogy. Yeah. That was my plan. Which would make for a perfect TV yeah. series or a film. Yeah. I think it would sort of, I know where, I have a vague idea where the third book would go. Yeah. Um, it's just about getting the time now to sit down and write again. But I will do that in the new year, definitely. 
And do you feel like that if it gets into the right hands, you know, it could take off? I don't know. Seem like you hope that, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. Like what writer wouldn't hope that? Yeah. But, you know, I'm not holding out. I'm not visualising that. Yes. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. And I'm pushing the weight of my enthusiasm and my work and my focus behind it. Yeah. And look, you know, wherever it goes, it goes. And no matter what, I'd say you're happy anyway that you fulfilled the dream, I'd say. Delighted. Yeah. Delighted. It's a great thrill yeah. to finish a book because I didn't think I would. Yeah. So it's a great thrill to have done it. Yeah. And will you continue the sales alongside the writing? I will. You know, during yeah. COVID now, kind of the business imploded a bit. Yeah, there wasn't uh, much Really, training. there was only Zoom and, you know, there's only so much you can do really do on Zoom and the yeah. whole business yeah. world was kind of in a state of flux. Um, but yeah, I'm going to continue the training. I won't, it won't be full time. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I just like, I like connecting with people. Um, so I don't know if I'll ever really give up the training completely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have another, as I say, another sort of chunk of your life that you're doing yeah, something different yeah. with. So yeah. you, you've finished up being a teacher and a writer. So you've got to do the two. I again. got to do the two. And, and who knows what else? There's, there's a long road ahead. <laughs> no, we're nearly coming to the end of the podcast, but... You don't escape that easily. There's oh, always right. three questions at the end. Oh, no. And this, this should be easy for you. Yeah. So the, fir- so the first two questions are kind of related. So I ask every guest um, what tip you would give a business. No, I'm thinking with your sales hat on, mm. small businesses out there, a lot of small businesses owners listen to this podcast. Yeah. What tip would you give them in terms of sales? I wouldn't even have to think about that. I would just say, look after your customers. Yeah. And people often think, oh, look after the customers. Oh, look after the customers is a lot of small things. Yeah. It's about keeping in touch with them. Yeah. It's about asking them, how are we doing? Yeah. Are you happy? Yeah. Because if you ask those questions, you might find your customers are not happy, you know. Ask the questions. Link in with your customer. Pick up the phone is what I would say and chat to somebody. Um, if necessary, pop in. Mm. Keep the communication lines open, you know, with the digital world we live in now, there's a lot of disconnection. Yes. And people are not really forming perhaps human sort of warm relationships, which you do need to form with your customers, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, on their level, of course, you're not their best friend. Yeah. Um, but you need to judge what your customers want from you and give them that. So focus on the customer. The business then takes care of itself. So continuous research, so is what you really need to yeah. do. Yeah. And connection with connection. The other question I have would be what tip would you give an individual? And I'm thinking, no, with the different careers you've had, what tip would you give someone that maybe has a passion for something else and wants to change? And it isn't always as easy as, oh, go for it. Yeah. Sure it isn't. Yeah. Um, but if you have a passion for something, you, I don't think you do yourself any service by ignoring it mm. and saying, well, it's not practical. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to jump from being, I don't know, an analyst, you know, to, um, I don't know, a flower arranger overnight. Yeah. Um, but if you have a passion, dig down a little bit and and, and see if, if you can move in the direction of your passion. Do you kind of do it kind of on a part time basis to begin exactly. with? Exactly. Or even a voluntary basis okay. or even a research basis. Yeah. But don't ignore it because passion comes from within. Yeah. And listen to your body. Yeah. Listen to your body. When you when you're excited about something, your body 
you know, it's 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 bubbling inside you. Yeah. So listen to that, because wouldn't you be ashamed if you had a thousand months and you'd be lucky if you got a thousand months yeah. that you didn't explore yeah. Yeah. the passion in your life. That that would not that would not be a good idea. Like the time you, you went back and knocked on the door back at ERI. I often wonder if I didn't go back. Yeah. What would have happened? <laughs> what, what would have happened, you know? You might have still had to knock on the door because the mini didn't start. But I remember it. saying that to a young fellow one day yeah. and he did it himself. I was, oh, he said, Eleanor, I did what you did. Yeah. I went back into the, it was over in um, the Cork College of Com and he said, yeah. I, I didn't think I did well at all. And I went knocked at the door and I went back in and I said, I didn't think I did so good, but I want you to know I want this course. And he said, I got the course and I think it was because I did that. And I said, no, you probably did a very good interview first time round, but yeah. It's important to show the passion. Show the passion. Now, last week on the first episode of the second series, we introduced a new question and that is um, in association with our new uh, sponsor, Skillsbase. And what we're looking for is what skill do you think is essential uh, in your industry? So I'm thinking with sales, Mm. what skill is essential for sales? Listening. Listening. I would say enthusiasm. Yeah. But you know what? Listening is the key to sales, really. Because you don't know what the customer wants unless you're prepared to listen. Yeah. And listening is about asking questions and it's about asking good questions. Mm. And when you listen, somebody, the person who's who's talking respects you um, and they trust you. That's what listening does. Listening I was in the Samaritans many, many moons ago when I was in my 20s. Yeah. And listening is a transformational thing. Mm. So despite my talk about enthusiasm and resilience and all the rest of it, if there was one key thing that you need to do more of is listen. Listen to the customer. Extract information. Build trust. Build rapport. How do you build trust and rapport? By listening. Because in sales, it's often seen as the opposite way around. Oh, absolutely. Oh, the talking, talking bit is fine. Oh, yeah. The talking bit is important. But that's only 20%. 80% is the listening. Yeah. So that's the skill you would... Definitely. Cultivate that skill. Teach that skill to your staff. It doesn't come... You know, we don't listen very well, actually, at all. Yeah. We're too focused on ourselves. Yeah. How am I doing? Jesus, I better tell them about this. I better make sure that they know about this. I better ask for the business. Yeah. Listen to the customer listen first. The customer. And then the customer will listen to you. Then you can talk. And he'll listen then. Or she. Excellent advice. Brilliant answers to the three questions. Best of luck with the launch of the book. I'm sure it'll be a great success. And uh, when you're a big star in the in the publishing <laughs> world, we, we'll bring you back again. Great. Oh, if I have time, Stephen. If you have time. <laughs> we can always replay the old uh, podcast <laughs> exactly. anyway. Exactly. I'll charge you for that. <laughs> Thanks a million for coming in, Eleanor. Thank you very much, Stephen. I enjoyed it. That wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile-first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.